him. Today we're going to talk about um, some very profound truths. We're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. This is a super important uh, piece of the armor that God has given us. So let me just catch you up just in case you haven't been around for a bit. So what we've been saying, we've been in a series called Equipped. And the basis of the series is that life is hard. Can I get an amen? amen. Life is hard. It is difficult. There are pains and sufferings and hardships and difficulties, heartaches and surprises that we have no idea we're going to come. And what we need more than anything is to be equipped by God to endure the difficulties of life. And so God gives us this equipping, and he calls it the armor of God. Now, the armor of God, we've said last week, and it's worth repeating because I want you to remember this. The armor of God, we defined it as this. The armor of God is the benefits, the freedoms, and the privileges that are ours in Christ. That's what the armor of God is. It's the benefits, the freedoms, and the privileges that are ours in Jesus. So when we put on the armor, we're putting on the benefits, the freedoms, and the privileges. When we defend ourselves with the armor, we're defending ourselves with the benefits, the freedoms, and the privileges that are given to us by Christ for his glory. And so last week we looked at, and by the way, last week's message is so important for this week's message. Last week we put on the belt of truth. And we said that we needed to expose ourselves to the truth of God's word to replace the lies that we believe. The lies in our culture, the lies in our personal experience, the lies that we've been told. We need, we need to take a bath in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need his thoughts, his idea, his word. So last week I gave you, we gave you a, a, a handout, and that handout had 31 uh, scriptures, benefits that you received the moment you received Christ. I hope that you've been meditating on that. This week, however, we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness, and I feel very, very, very um, deep about this. I wonder... I've walked around most of my life with a handful of sins that I thought I could never be forgiven for. Any of you have any of those? Where, where I went too far, did too bad a thing, acted too long in a way that was contrary to Jesus. And so when I come to Christ, there's a war that goes on in my soul. And a war that says, listen man, you know who you are. Even as I preach to you, this happens every single time I preach. The devil reminds me of what I've done. Even as I'm speaking to you, he reminds you know you're not worthy. You see, I struggle. I struggle with looking at myself the way God looks at me. And I deny it all the time. 
But that thought that I receive is part of a war that we're in. The reason that God says, I'm going to give you armor, is because the Christian walk is a battle. Now, here's the thing. Most of us think that when we come to Christ, that walking the Christian life is not about, it's, it's, you know what it is? It's like, it's like a carnival cruise or a Disney cruise. That's what we think of when we think of the Christian life. And it's like, hey, what temperature is the pool? Right? Or, you know, are we going to have shrimp today for dinner? Or are we going to have steak? Like, you know, our, our idea is like, oh, are you going to do some sunbathing or are you going to go to Half Moon K? Like, we don't know what we're going to do. But we know that when we've been told, we've been told that when you become a Christian, everything is supposed to be fine and good and nothing is ever supposed to go wrong, which is the reason why many of you left Christ years ago when things didn't go your way. And the reason is, is because you get angry at God for neglecting the pleasure cruise that he promised to put you on. Only he never promised to put you on a pleasure cruise. He over and over says that the Christian life is not a Disney cruise. It's not a, a, it's not a, a carnival cruise. Rather, the Christian life is more like a battleground. It's a war. And that we are fighting. And that when we fight, we, we fight not with the the tools that we have at our own disposal, but rather we fight with inherited tools, inherited armor. Armor that comes from God, but not only armor that comes from God, we fight with God's armor. And so we do, so the difference is, is that when you're on a pleasure cruise and they burn your steak or the, the, the hot tub isn't uh, uh, functioning and it's out of order or the elevator doesn't work, we're like, I want my money back. That's it. After all I paid to be on this cruise, we get very, very upset. But when you're in a war zone and you get a can of beans, you're grateful. You're as happy as you can be. And it's like, if, forget the sauna. Forget the, the hot tub. If you could just wash your feet and wash your socks in your war zone, that's what you want to be because it's a different mindset. Beloved, the Bible says that we are in a war and that this war is going to take you and I getting equipped for the battle that lies ahead. Satan has a, a, a bespoke you know what bespoke is? Bespoke is when um, you go to a, a, a tailor and he makes you a dress or a pair of shoes or a suit that fit particularly and specifically for you. Satan's attacks are bespoke. They're specific and tailored. Oh, no, no, nip a little bit over here, but leave a little bit more over here. You see, tailored for you. He knows how you think. He knows what you struggle with. He knows what you wrestle with. He knows your insecurities and your fears. He knows how little you trust him, and he knows. Not only does he know this, he exploits it, and so Satan comes and attacks. Now, here's the thing. For some of you, excuse me, 
For some of you, for some of you, you think that the struggles that you fight are your own, but you have an enemy that's coming after you. Now, if you're here and you go, oh, you're kidding me. Are you talking about like little devils with horns and pitchforks going around and picking? I would say to you, no. And we addressed this the very first week. And we talked about, and I'm, I, I can't do the whole illustration, but we talked about you, you have Purell and you put it on your hand. And the reason that you have this, sanit, um, this, um, this Purell, this uh, um, sanitized, uh, hand sanitizer, the reason that you put it on is because you and I recognize that there is an invisible enemy, it's called a germ. And that if this germ gets in on your life, not only threatens your health, but threatens your life. And not only can make you sick, but cost you your life. So we go through all, so good night, look at you. You have masks on because there is an invisible war that's going against you that you want to protect yourself from. You are being dutiful people by putting on your masks. And what I'm saying is that there's another sort of armor. Not the mask that you put on your face, but an armor that you put on your soul so that you might fight against the attacks against your uh, marriage. The attacks against your health. The attacks against your mental well-being. The attacks against your insecurities. The attacks against the way you view yourself sexually the attacks that are against your finances, the attacks that are against your low self-esteem, the attacks that are against you in every single way in life. So God says, not just a mask for germs, but there's an armor for your soul. And today we're talking about the breastplate. And the reason is, is because all of us need to be able, all of us strive to find rightness. In fact, when I was growing up, or maybe a little bit before that, in the 70s, I mean, I was around in the 70s, but I'm saying, um, people would say things like this, you all right, you all right. Oh, hey, man, you all right. And, and the reason that they would say that, by the way, is because intuitively, everybody has a need to be all right. Everybody has a need to belong. Listen, you might not think uh, and here's the thing, and let me just say this about our need to be right or all right. You know what I mean? Not right like correct, right like, like it's okay with me. I, I'm not rejected. And so the thing about being all right is that it really matters when the person that you uh, want to see you as all right thinks of you as all right. It's, it really matters when they matter. Well, the, the fact is, is that all of us, it, you know what it is? It's a judgment. We're all looking for the verdict that you all right. In fact, some of you are here in this service because you want to prove to God that you all right. That, look, God, I'm here at the service. I've attended. I'm taking notes. I'm reading the scriptures. I'm sitting quietly. I'm enduring this man's sermon. I'm, you, surely you see my suffering, and you think that I'm all right. You see, every one of us do that. And so here's what happens. 
we all look for a rightness or a righteousness from someone or something. This happens to everyone. I'm not kidding. I've, I go to a 12-step uh, program for addiction, and, I, and some of you go, really? And he's the pastor? I know. Welcome. <laughs> this is a great place. Okay. And so here's what I would want to, here's what I would want to tell you. Here, listen, listen. This is a place where you can be broken and honest. You don't have to pretend anymore. But the reason that I bring that up is because I'm intimately, I intimately understand addiction from a personal perspective and from a corporate perspective. Righteousness, personal righteousness, is such a deep, profound thing that, you know what the alcoholic says? He goes, at least I'm not doing coke. <laughs> I mean, coke is the real bad thing. What is he doing? He's trying to find his righteousness. And what does the coke head say? Well, at least I'm not shooting up heroin. And then the, the guy who's shooting up heroin or who's on the methadone line, it goes, well, at least I'm not eating out of a garbage can. You see how this goes? What happens is, is that we can't stop comparing ourselves. We try to find our own. What I'm trying to tell you is that we, we try to find ways of making ourselves all right. And they're not helping you're not alone. The first person to ever try this was Adam and Eve. You remember this? They sinned. At first, they were naked and unashamed. And then they did something that was not, they were all right. And then they did something that was not at all right. And what did they do? Anybody know? They covered themselves. They covered their shame. And you and I walk around with a shame. And so this message is super important because you will walk and do life and do marriage and do singleness and do kids and do maturity and do your work. You'll do it from a place of shame, having to prove that you're all right if you don't put on this piece of armor, the breastplate of righteousness. And so... Um, I want you to see, we're going to read this together. We read uh, the same verse last week, but now we're going to finish the verse because we talked about the belt of truth, and now we're going to start talking deeper about the breastplate of righteousness. Would you please stand at the reading of God's word? We do this because we reverence and adore and want to be reminded that God's word is something other than um, what we think Luke chapter 6, verse 13 and 14. Let's read it together, shall we? On a count of three. One, two, three. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. That ends the reading of God's word. Have a seat. So we have to look at this thing called the breastplate of righteousness. It says to put on the breastplate of righteousness because your marriage depends on it. If you're trying to live for their approval, you'll crush them. 
If you're trying to live for your kids, I mean, how sad is it? And maybe you're one of these parents where your kid, you feel so guilt-ridden and ashamed about the divorce that your kid has you buying things that you can't afford to the degree where it's not healthy for the child because you're trying to make yourself right in their eyes. Do you see how this affects everything in life? It affects everything. So we got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. But there's an enemy to the breastplate of righteousness. And it's an enemy that every one of you will be able to see in each other but not be able to identify in yourself. The enemy of the breastplate of righteousness is self-righteousness. And you go, Psh, now I know I got to call that girl from the job. She needs to listen to this. I'm going to send her this message. Self-righteousness is something that's easy to see out the window, but very difficult to see in the mirror. Very, very difficult. But the fact is, you and I are self-righteous. We try to create our righteousness of our own actions that, by definition, is self-righteousness. Any woman who has a husband who's cheated on her and still holds the bitterness and stayed with him, she tells herself, well, I was always faithful because she's self-righteous. Any kid who tries to talk his parent out of any punishment will say, but I I'm not smoking cigarettes like so-and-so. Because you know why? They're self Righteous, you and I have this knee-jerk reaction. It's habitual. It's in us. We want to make ourselves righteous, and we run away from the righteousness that God gives. This is why whenever you sin, especially on Friday and Saturday, you decide to skip the Sunday service. The reason, or at least you feel like it, and the reason that is, it's because you feel like you haven't brought enough righteousness. And you'll say things like this, but I don't want to be a hypocrite. To which, of course, I say, we always have room for one more hypocrite. <laughs> Beloved, this self-righteousness will kill your marriage, will kill your singleness, will kill your relationships, will kill you. It's everything in us. Charles Spurgeon said this. Charles Spurgeon was a 19th century uh, preacher. I read his sermons. You can't listen to him so much, but you can read them. And I cry when I read his sermons. They're that beautiful, and they're over 100 years old. And he said this. The greatest enemy to human souls is the self-righteous spirit which makes men look at themselves for salvation. This is why. You don't believe you're self-righteous? When somebody gives you a criticism... Do you defend yourself or do you look to listen to the criticism? What do you do? Kung Fu Panda, right? Like crazy, right? You defend yourself in every possible way. Why do you do that? Because you want to find, you want to be established in your own righteousness. That's why when people point out stuff in our lives, we go, what about me? What about you? Why do we do that? Because we are trying to fortify ourselves in our self-righteousness. 
It's why your spouse is afraid to tell you about the very obvious thing in your life that you need to address. You're self-righteous. It's why your friends know you're going down the wrong way with the wrong boyfriend or girlfriend, and they won't tell you. You know why? Because you're self-righteous. It's why no pastor can tell you anything to correct any issue in your life. Who am I? And you're right. Who am I? But the question is, who are you? See, the point isn't here that I'm better than you because I'm telling you something about your life or you're better than me because you're pointing out some of my grievous sins. The point is, is that when my wife points out a grievous sin in my life, I can be reminded that that is not my identity so I don't have to defend it. My identity is not in what my wife thinks of me. My identity is what God has given me. And God has given me a righteousness that I can walk in so that when my wife criticizes something about me, in humility, I can go tell me more. How am I hurting you and the kids? This, oh my God, I couldn't hear for years. I couldn't hear my wife go, Edwin, the kids are growing up. You need to be a better father. You need to spend more time with them. I would defend myself and say, yeah, but I'm here over here, and I do this, and I do that. And and it's like, no, 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 beloved. What, What should have happened is like, you know what? I'm already considered righteous in Christ. He has given me this righteousness. And be and through that, I can find out where I have weak weaknesses and flaws and brokenness. But we're not interested in that. In, in, the, in our church and in other churches, I've noticed that we rather seem righteous than actually be righteous. But being righteous flows out of an actual reception of receiving the rightness that God gives. See, the Christian can flow into righteousness from righteousness. We can live in righteousness. We can live from righteousness, not for righteousness. Does that make sense? In other words, I have been given righteousness from God, which now enables me to say no to that temptation and say yes to that godly opportunity and to say no to that uh, thing that I've been running back to over and over again. Because I've been given the breastplate of righteousness, I can walk in righteousness. You see, the breastplate of righteousness is given not just so that we could know that we're righteous, although I want you to know that you, if you have received Christ, you are righteous in Christ. But and then there's not just a no, there's a flow. We don't just know that we're righteous because Christ has given us, but then we flow in our righteousness. In other words, that lie that Satan puts in all of our ears whenever we're trying to break a bad habit, that lie that says, but this is all I know. No, 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 no. You've now been given something that maybe you don't know, but that you need to know. And it's the breastplate of righteousness to guard your soul. This is so important for us. Otherwise, we'll walk around with our hypersensitivity. You know what I mean when I say hypersensitivity? Anybody here who's hypersensitive, right? Oh, it's just like one or two of us. Okay, it's like three of us. All right, great. Me and two, right? And it's because we're not walking in the righteousness that God gives. 
So what do we do? So the righteousness that God gives produces a righteousness in us that allows us to live in that righteousness. The way we're going to say it in today's big idea is this. The righteousness God has given is the righteousness meant for living. I know that that last thing is specifically because living doesn't uh, sound quite right. But I want us to say this together, okay? All right? This is the big lesson for today, okay? Count of three. One, two, three. The righteousness God has given is the righteousness men for living. Let's say it again. The righteousness that God has given is the righteousness meant for living. One more time. The righteousness God has given is the righteousness meant for In other words, the righteousness that I've received in Christ overflows. I'm not struggling to get something. It's a, you know what it's like? It's like this. Have you ever um, seen The Voice or um, American Idol? And they tell you this whole story. You know how they do, right? They get you emotionally attached to someone, and they tell you their story of struggle and woe and difficulty and heartache. And then that person goes up and starts to sing, memories all alone in them, or whatever they sing. And then it's not about their performance. It's never about their performance. It's how their performance was received. In other words, they don't stand there for the performance to sing. They stand there waiting for the judge's responses. And that's how most of us live our lives. We live our lives trying to do better. That's why when we're doing good and someone says it's not enough, we get all devastated inside. Or if someone doesn't recognize our sacrifice, we get all sorts of upset. Why? Because, look, we sang our song, and now we're waiting for Simon to say, you can go to the next round. This will crush you in life. And it doesn't matter if you're 13 and just want the kids at school to like you, or if you're 72. It just, it's everywhere. But the righteousness that we've been given produces righteousness so that when we're secure in the righteousness that God has for, has given us we can then walk in that righteousness now let me give you some questions to examine yourself okay we're going to give you some questions to examine yourself to see if you are living in the righteousness that God gives now before I give you the questions this righteousness will be reinforced if this belt is not loose does that make sense This is the the belt of truth. If you're not pounding and preaching into your head every day that my righteousness is a borrowed and foreign righteousness, and that when the devil says, you're not worthy, you go, I know, that's the gospel. I'm not worthy. But he was worthy, and he gave me his righteousness, and so I can walk in the truth of that. So when Satan comes and says, just one beer, you can go, but God has given me himself to drink from that I might not thirst and be satisfied all the way down to my toes. You see, it's our right, the righteousness that he has bestowed upon us that allows us to walk out in righteous living. But we'll never put, fasten this on well unless the belt 
is on tight. Unless you're exposing yourself to God's word. Think about it. Think about it. How much time do you spend on a screen? How much? Is it four minutes? Is it four hours? How much time a day do you spend on a screen? Well, if you add up all the time that you spent on a screen, TV screen, iPad screen, phone screen, watch screen. If you add up all that time, let me just ask you a very practical question. If you add up all that time and spend five minutes a day in God's word, how do you think that's going to go for your heart? Do you think you're going to be stronger in God's word or stronger in the culture? This is a terrible part of the sermon because my point is not to make you feel guilty. In fact, now that you realize that you barely, and I know you don't spend five minutes a day, you go, man, I wish I spent five minutes a day. That's a Herculean task. Now that that's come in and now that you're feeling bad, I want you to go back to the breastplate of righteousness, that my, my righteousness is not based on the amount of time I spend in God's word, but rather that he has bestowed his word in my heart and he has given me his righteousness. And then that, what does that do? That makes us want to what? Spend time. You see, because it's not out of guilt and shame. It's out of joy that overflows that he's given us what we've always wanted. You all right. So here's some questions. Some questions, just self-examination questions. They're not going to be on the screen. I just want you to think about them. Is there anything I'm seeing, saying, doing, or doing that I won't tell my spouse or parents or boss or kid. See, if you're undermining your own righteousness, if you're undermining your own righteousness, then Satan is going to take advantage of the fact that you haven't put on the breastplate of righteousness. Because remember, by receiving the righteousness, it allows us to live out the righteousness. In what places in my day do I compromise? Is it, is it something simple, like at work, hey, Susie, I'm going to be there in 20 minutes. Do you mind punching me in? I'm just like, okay, cool. And just, all right, so what are we saying? There, there might be compromises in our lives that might be subtle ways of us taking off the breastplate of righteousness. Is there anything that I'm doing that if I do a little more would be a problem? Is there anything that I'm doing that if I do in just a little greater um, amount, it'll be a problem? Maybe it's eating. Maybe it's drinking. That's where you get your all rightness from, drinking or eating or, I don't know. Or, or maybe it's, again, screen time. I don't know. Is there anyone that I'm getting judgmental about? This is a big one. If you're self-righteous, one of the, one of the uh, consequences of being self-righteous is that you're judgmental. 
Does that make sense? Because everybody else is not as good as you. And if everybody else is not as good as you, clearly you have reasons to judge them. And I notice, don't you notice this about yourself? I, I judge people based on the stuff that I don't struggle with. <laughs> right? I've never been a gambler, ever. I think I've maybe, I don't know, if I've placed two bets my whole life, it's a lot. I've never, I don't bet, I don't, you know, do any of that stuff. So I have no problem judging people with gambling. With lust, I'm super compassionate. I'm like all sorts of, oh my gosh, you struggle with this? Oh, me too. Let's talk about it. But that just proves that I am finding my righteousness in myself. If you're judgmental against why? Because when you realize that you deserve hell, that you deserve to be separated from God forever, and yet he, he has, by his grace, bestowed upon you the breastplate of righteousness so that you can be accepted into his family. When you realize that that is a gifted righteousness, then you have no root. <laughs> what am I going to say? What am I going to say about anybody else's unrighteousness? I'm so bad, I needed Jesus to die so that I might... Uh, have the righteousness that God has given me. Beloved, I got no room for judgment of you because all of my righteousness, it's like bragging about your hair color. It's like, it was given to me. There's nothing to brag about. My righteousness was given to me. There's nothing to brag about. Have you started thinking that you can drink like a normal person? Like, just, oh, you know, I've been clean, I've been sober, I've been, you know, whatever. I don't know. Okay. So, God has given us the breastplate of righteousness, and it's for you. So whenever you feel shame, whenever you feel guilt, whenever you don't feel it enough, your job is not to look in the mirror and say, you're pretty enough. You're good enough. You're smart enough. That's not the job. The job is to go, God has given me all of the rightness that I need. All of the beauty that I need is bestowed from God, and he finds me lovely. Like right now, if you think I'm really ugly, that doesn't feel good. But if my wife thinks I'm super handsome, forgive me, but I don't care what you think. Because the one whom I love thinks I'm lovely. So if others think of you as this or that, it doesn't matter. Because the one whom you love finds you lovely. Or better yet, the one who has loved you finds you lovely.